Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to Grace Crossing Church. We're so glad to have you uh, here worshiping. Uh, with us this morning. Thank you for all joining us uh, at our in-person gathering here this morning. Also, for those joining us on our broadcast, where we want to welcome you. We want to thank you uh, for being a part of Grace Crossing Church. Now, this is a surprising time, an unusual time for people to be searching for churches, perhaps, or maybe visiting churches, but we do know that we've had some that are joining us that aren't part of our normal church gathering. So we want to say, if you're newer to Grace Crossing Church, can you just let us know, uh, whether you're here at our in-person gathering, whether you're joining us for our broadcast, we'd love to hear from you and know that you have uh, been visiting, and we'd love to be able to say thank you for that and connect with you and find a way to to connect and engage you uh, in our church. Well, this morning, we're glad to be back uh, from vacation. Um, It's a wonderful time always when you go on vacation to recalibrate. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Vacations are just a time that we get to kind of reflect upon what we do and, and the way we think about things. And so... Vacation was certainly a time for us to do that. In, in a lot of ways, many of us are recalibrating the idea of vacation right now because of the, the new normals and because of the restrictions we're living with. For Kelly and I, we had to change um, and, and kind of switch what we were doing. We, we opted, instead of going to the Emerald Coast of Florida, we opted for the Hocking Hills of Ohio. So that's where we ended up for our vacation this year. I'll say this, it was not what we had originally planned for. It was not what we originally had hoped for, but it was more than we expected. God met us in some really special ways and some surprise ways. And I was reminded on our vacation of just a simple but surefire formula that is so true in life, and it's this. Change of place plus change of pace equals change of perspective. Change of place plus change of pace equals change of perspective. All of us have had a change of pace because of the pandemic. But it's good to get a change of place as well from time to time, to just have a different perspective on life. And we are all doing that right now. We've had to uh, figure out ways to recalibrate our lives. Everything has been kind of thrown out of joint, like what we're normally doing uh, for our holidays, our vacations, our rhythms, they're just different. And so we've been learning and having to find ways to recalibrate. And and here at Grace Crossing Church, since we began our in-person gatherings on July the 12th, we've been in a series called Recalibrate, where we have been adjusting the way we think and what we do to align more to heaven to what God's preferences are, what God's for us. And so uh, in this series, we've been using a catalyst verse that has kind of framed what we've been talking about in this series. And I want us to move right into that this morning as we reframe our series and begin and continue recalibrate. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Or recalibrate. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you all. In this season 
of isolation and separation, I want to focus this morning on togetherness. And specifically this morning, I want to focus on the theme, rethinking unity. Rethinking unity. There is a little phrase that appears in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 11, that I want us to pay attention to this morning. It's a little but very important and powerful idea that Paul actually advances here in the verse. And he says this, be of one mind. Be of one mind. Now the word mind is used in scripture in the New Testament about 56 times. And it's used not just to refer to our, the thinking part of our being, but it's also used to refer to the feeling part of our being. So your mind is not just what you think about, your mind is how you feel about what you think about. That's all included in the mind. And so this morning, when Paul says, be of one mind, he's not simply talking about the thought life that we have, but he's talking about its emotional impact on us and how it affects us and how we respond to it. This morning, I think we need to ask this simple question, what did Paul have in mind when Paul calls on us to be of one mind? whether you're here in our in-person gathering this morning, whether you're joining us from home, what is it Paul had in mind when he said, regardless of whether or not we are physically together, how do we be of one mind? How do we rethink unity? I mean, everything's been segregated. The world has been separated. And yet God's call has never changed. God's call remains the same. God's call is to unity. But what is it to be of one mind? Is Paul here talking about that we are to all believe the exact same thing? No room for differences of opinion? Is that what Paul's saying? Is Paul asserting that we are to have like sort of a blind faith where we just go along with whatever we're told to do, no questions asked? Is that what Paul is talking about when he says, be of one mind? Is Paul talking about that we not make room for respectful disagreement? Or that we we make no room for healthy dissent? Is that what Paul has in mind? Or perhaps what Paul is saying is that I want all of you to think exactly like one another. Is that what Paul is saying when Paul is calling us to be of one mind? I would suggest to us this morning that none of those things actually strike the core of what Paul's talking about when he appeals to us through the Spirit of Christ to be of one mind. There is something far bigger, far more significant, something far more eternal that Paul has in mind to which he's calling us to. 
And Paul elsewhere in the scripture uses the same phrase at different places. Philippians chapter two, verse number two, Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Let's camp there a few moments here this morning. Paul doesn't just make this statement once in this verse, like-minded, he actually does it twice. He says, I'm calling you to be like-minded and I'm calling you to be of one mind. Now, doesn't that sound noble? Doesn't this verse sound like something that we should all aspire to? The challenge of it lies in how we do it. I mean, here's what I mean. Let's be honest for just a moment. When you hear that phrase, be like-minded, isn't the first thing you think about is, I want everybody to have a mind like me? I mean, let's be honest. We can be like-minded as long as everyone is conforming to my mind. If everybody's willing to think and feel the way I do, then certainly I I could be like-minded. What we often think about when we hear this idea of being of one mind is we think, I want everybody else to think like me. And therein lies the problem, doesn't it? Whose mind is it that we are called to calibrate to? Is it your mind? Are are you the standard by which we ought to all be of one mind and like-minded? Is it my mind? Is my mind the standard? I mean, after all, wouldn't world be better if everybody thought like I did? And wouldn't we all get along perfectly if everybody conformed to my way of thinking, right? We don't say it. But when we read verses like this, there is a temptation for us to place ourselves as the standard. Now, Peter adds his voice to this. 1 Peter chapter 3 Verse number eight, where Peter says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. So Peter doesn't just tell us that we are to be like-minded, but Peter goes on to say that we are to be sympathetic, we are to love each other, we are to be compassionate, and we are to be humble. But this creates a whole nother problem when like-mindedness is calibrated to my standards. Because my idea of sympathy may not be your idea of sympathy, right? My idea and standard of love might be different from your standard of love. My level of compassion and your level of compassion are not the same. And the way in which we humble ourselves and express humility could be very different in our lives. So what is it that the New Testament writers are getting at when they tell us to be like-minded, when we are called to be of one mind. What is it that they have in mind and they have in view? 
Well, I would suggest to us this morning that like-mindedness requires us to all have a single source to which we calibrate. It requires that there be one standard by which we all conform and to which we all agree. It means that there be one level and one mindset to which we conform our minds together to think like. And it is not your mind. And it is not my mind. Here's the big idea today. Being of one mind does not mean that we all think alike. Being of one mind means that we all think like Jesus. Being of one mind does not mean that we all think alike. It means that we all think like Christ. It doesn't mean I make it my goal to be more like you in the way you think or you strive to be more like me. It means that we together strive to be more like God in the way that we think, in the mindset that we have, the way that we live out our lives. A.W. Tozer wrote a tremendous book called The Pursuit of God. He captures the essence of what we're talking about this morning in Rethinking Unity when he says this in his book. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? Let me read that again. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive for closer fellowship. That, friends, is profound. Because what A.W. Tozer is dialing in on is exactly what the scripture is teaching when it talks about being like-minded and being of one mind. It means that we have a shared tuning fork to which we calibrate our lives, to which we calibrate our mindset. And that mind is the mind of Jesus. It is the mind of Christ. Now, that may sound like a lofty ambition for us today to think how in the world could we ever have the mind of Christ? How in the world could we ever reach that? Is that even possible? Well, according to what the New Testament teaches, it's not only possible, but it is actually a promise that God makes to us. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. God gave us in salvation a gift, many, many gifts. One of those great gifts God gave us is he gave us the gift of his mind. It is not naturally acquired. It is supernaturally endowed. It is given to us by the Holy Spirit who alone knows the mind of God. That's actually what 1 Corinthians tells us, that he knows the mind of God and who is the one who knows the mind of the Lord. It's the Spirit of the Lord. And then it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So friends, let me say this. What we are called to do is we are called not just to appreciate the mind of Christ. We are called to appropriate the mindset of Christ in the way in which we strive for unity. It's why we got to rethink it. And the million-dollar question this morning is this. What exactly is the mind of Christ? In other words, what are the features of the mind of Christ to which we are all called to calibrate? So throughout the Gospels, we are given insight into the prayer life of Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we are shown how Jesus prayed, that Jesus uh, often prayed with his head bowed toward the earth, but many times he prayed with head lifted, with eyes wide open, looking toward heaven. We're given insight into when Jesus prayed, that there were times Jesus prayed early in the morning. He prayed sometimes late at the evening, and there were times where, because of the burdens he carried, Jesus prayed all night long. There's only one place in the gospel where we are actually shown what Jesus prayed. Only one place in the gospel gives us very clear evidence as to the mindset of Jesus, to the what of his prayers. And that particular place is John chapter 17 That was Jesus' high priestly prayer. It was when Jesus actually, just moments before he's going to be arrested, just moments before Jesus is going to be tried for high treason by the Roman government, he literally is pouring out his heart to God in prayer. And in this high priestly prayer in John 17, we actually are given some crucial clues into the mindset of Jesus. And it's what I want to call us to this morning, that as we think about being of one mind, and as we think of being like-minded, it means that we are all to calibrate our minds to the mind of Christ. What does that look like? Well, there's lots we could talk about in these 26 verses in John chapter 17 this morning. But I want to pick up on a few of the really crucial clues that actually give us insight into how we should be striving to be of one mind and to be like-minded with Jesus. There are five features 
that I want to dial in on briefly this morning that are all crucial. The first one is this. Jesus had a transcendent mind. He had a transcendent mind. The word transcendent means that it is something that lives not just with the physical existence, but an understanding there's something beyond that. Well, in Jesus' case, we see clear evidence of a transcendent mind throughout his life, but even in his prayer. John chapter 17, verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was not short-sighted. And Jesus was not small-minded. Jesus saw the big picture. He understood that life was more about what you feel or taste or touch or see with your natural eyes. And throughout Jesus' earthly life, Jesus lived present with people on earth while he simultaneously lived present with his Father. There was a sense of harmony in the way that he brought together earth and eternity. It's expressed through the way he lived. Uh, Jesus here, when he talks about finishing the work, remember, he has not even gone to the cross yet. What Jesus understood was this. He understood that his life was a part of God's big redemptive story. It wasn't the only part of God's redemptive story. I mean, Jesus came, and if the only part of his life and the only thing about the redemptive story was the crucifixion, he would have been born an adult at the age of 33, got it over with, done, we're on our way. He understood something. He understood that his work was to come as as an infant, to be carried in a womb for nine months. His work included being born into a Jewish peasant family and being raised in relative poverty. He understood that part of his work was subjecting himself in obedience to parents who were raising him in a Jewish education. He understood that part of his work was learning the Jewish religion really, really well so that he could be a fully devoted follower of God and earn the respect of those around him. He understood that part of his work was submitting himself to the messianic mission that God had given him. And all of those things mattered to Jesus. But he had a perspective that said this, I am part of God's redemptive story and I'm doing it all for one purpose and one purpose only, to bring glory to God. I think we should ask ourselves that question today. Am I living here on this earth doing what I'm doing for the glory of God? Or is there some hidden agenda or some secret ambition in us that drives us to do what we do? Let's be honest. We can do things for our glory. We can do things for the glory of others. But Jesus didn't do that. 
In fact, Jesus took no shortcuts in finishing his work. He left no stone unturned. He did not shortchange or shortcut the work that God had given him to do. He came. He was intentional about doing it. Now, I'll be really honest with you. That's hard for me at times. Sometimes I become very impatient. If anything, this season has taught me, it's, it's revealed again to me my level of impatience that I can have from time to time. When everything seems somewhat to be stripped away and you feel like you're getting back to having to kind of start things over in some ways, it can be really hard. It can be really frustrating. I, I can do in life what I did the other day when I was driving and I was coming to a construction uh, zone, and I, I, I was feeling impatient because of the, the slowness of the traffic. So I, I turned and I thought I'll take a shortcut home. And I got behind a car that was just creeping along. And I got close enough to read the bumper sticker. Please be patient, driver in training. And that's the car I followed all the way home. And I kept saying to myself, is it worth it? <laughs> was the shortcut worth it? The truth is, we take shortcuts sometimes. Jesus never did. Jesus had a transcendent mind that saw what was happening on the earth, connected it to eternity, and did it all for the purpose of one thing, to glorify God. Jesus also had a transparent mind. He had a transparent mind. Verse, there, there are two ways this transparent mind is revealed. Actually, in John 17, in Jesus' prayer, and the idea of transparency is the idea is that you can see what is behind something because of the light that's shining through it. Make no mistake about it. Jesus was a physical representation of a spiritual being. He was the physical representation of God here on earth. And what Jesus does is he lives with a transparency that everybody can see what's behind him. He's actually doing something to reveal the purpose for which he came. John 17, verse number six. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. I have revealed you. Jesus' life and his purpose was to be a transparent image of God. So that whether people liked God or whether people didn't like God, there was no mistaking who he was. The greatest thing that we offer to those we are in relationship with is we offer to them a transparency of allowing them to see God in us. The greatest gift that you give to your friends, the greatest gift you give to your family, the greatest resource you are to your coworkers, your neighbors, is letting them see Jesus in you. Being intentional about that. Jesus was very purposeful and intentional about making sure that he was revealing God to everyone with whom he's in relationship. But he does something more. Verse number eight, John 17. I gave them the words that you gave me. 
I gave them the words that you gave me. Now, Jesus here could be speaking about the written text, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, by which the Jewish people live their life in faith. He often said, I didn't come to abolish those things. I came to fulfill those things. He could be referring to the written text, but I suspect he's referring to something grander, something more significant. I would suggest he's referring to the spoken text. Because Jesus often said, I have given and shown you the things that were shown me by my Father. And I have spoken the things to you that were spoken to me by the Father. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I have come to be transparent. I've come so that you can hear my words, but not just hear them as my words, but hear them as God's words. The mindset of Jesus was one that was calibrated to the words that were spoken to him by God, both the written text and the spoken text. And so I ask you a question this morning. Do my words reflect God's word? Have I aligned my mindset to the word of God and thereby affected the way that I speak? Jesus often said that out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. And the idea of heart and mind are often used interchangeably in Scripture. And and here's what Jesus was saying. He's saying, listen, whatever frame of mind you have, whatever fills the, the, the wells of our hearts is going to come out of the buckets of our mouth. And Jesus' words were filled with God. They were filled with God. Just like our words should also be filled with God. When we have the mindset of God, it changes the way we speak. So Jesus had a transcendent mind. He had a transparent mind. Jesus, very clearly in John 17, had a prayerful mind. That's the third mindset I want us to calibrate ourselves to as we think of unity and we rethink unity. John chapter 17, verse 9, he says this throughout John 17, I pray for them. Now what strikes me here is that Jesus knew what was coming. Just a matter of moments. Throughout John 17, we do not find Jesus praying for himself. Think about that. At his darkest hour, At the hour of his greatest need for God, who is it Jesus is praying for? He's praying for us. He's praying for us. He's praying for those that are with him right there, right then and there. He's praying for those that are coming, generations that are yet to be born. He's praying for our generation and he's praying for everyone that will follow. Listen, if you want to know what a person thinks, listen to them talk. But if you want to know what a person values, listen to them pray. Nothing reveals what we value like what we pray about. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. When we, when we think about aligning ourselves, calibrating our minds to the mind of Christ, he had a prayerful mind. 
here's, here's the deal. Prayer is God's language. It's the language God speaks. So every time we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying aligned with God. But there's more. When we together pray, we are actually gathering a shared language and praying together in a way that makes us one. It's really powerful. Prayer is the language that God speaks, that God listens to, that God responds to. And it's the language that when we speak it together in the name of Christ, we are then sharing the mind of Christ and we are praying in a way that God's paying attention to. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. He cares about what we care about, but he really cares that we are aligned to Christ and we are praying with his mindset. So listen, friends, if we're ever, if we have any hopes in this series of recalibrating, if we have any hopes of being like Jesus, we've got to learn to pray like Jesus. And Jesus prayed often for them. For them. Which brings us to a fourth mindset. Jesus had a oneness mind. He had a oneness mind. Jesus was not only one with God Father, God the Spirit, but Jesus saw us and prayed that we would be one. Prayed that we would experience unity. You say, how do we experience unity when we are so different, when we are so diverse? How do we experience unity when we are so separated and spread out? What is it that brings us together? What brings us together is the mind of Christ. And what brings us together specifically is praying with a oneness mind. Jesus prayed it throughout John 17, verse number 11. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. So that, here's the purpose, so that they may be one as we are one. Verses 22 and 23 of John 17, Jesus goes on to say, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now, how important was this to Christ? Actually, if you look at the Gospels and you look at Jesus' life, it was central to the way he lived, to his mission. He's thinking about Jews. He's thinking about Greeks. He's thinking about Romans. He's thinking about all these different ways in which people understand life and understand God, and he's finding ways to connect to them. And on, in this prayer, in this high priestly prayer, Jesus, because he has a transcendent mind, is he's placed in a, in a way where he's able to see the beginning from the end. You see, when we pray with the mind of Christ, when we pray in a line with that, 
we are put, as it were, in a Goodyear blimp where we get to see the beginning of the parade from the end of the parade. It places us in a place where we can see what's God up to. And throughout the New Testament, we can see what God's up to. What God's up to is God's up to creating one new humanity out of multiple humanities. And you say, how do we know how, that this was so important? All you have to do is look at the very first thing that happens when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to empower the disciples. Why does he do it? Does he do it so that they could stay locked behind their doors and feel giddy and happy about what happened to them? No. He did it so they'd burst forth from their hideaways. They'd flood the streets of Jerusalem and they would begin to speak in multiple languages empowered by the Spirit so that people would pay attention from every ethnicity under the sun, every language group under the sun, every race is now paying attention that God loves them, that God is for them, that God wants them to be together with him. This is huge. Because this set forth a a purpose that we as God's people have been living part of since the birth of the church. And we have a long way to go. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning. That is not what God had in mind. That is is not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ as we become of one mind and we become like-minded, it's we begin to see that every single person matters to him, regardless of race, ethnicity, nationality, regardless of socioeconomic position, it doesn't make a difference. Every person is important. So what does it mean in a practical way for us? What does this, what does this oneness mind mean? Well, I think it means that we, we listen really well to people of color and to their stories without becoming reactive. Oneness means that we choose to enter into the pain that someone else has experienced because of their race or ethnicity, because of their cultural upbringing. We enter into their pain without becoming defensive or excusing the reasons why. It means instead of getting caught up into what's happening in our world today, getting caught up in the destruction of property or the vilification of police, it means we rise above all of that to see the streams and the rivers of injustice that still flow in our world today. And it means that we stand not just against racial injustice, but that we stand for anti-racism. That's what oneness means. It means we do more than just say, well, I don't think that way and I'm not part of that. It means we become advocates for anti-racism. 
Jesus modeled it. It was his mind. It was the mindset of the New Testament. And it's what we are called to be like-minded. This is not about what we think ourselves. It's about what does God think? And how do I align and calibrate to what God thinks? Which brings us to one final, very important mindset. It's the one that maybe summarizes it all. And it's this. Jesus had a missional mindset. He had a missional mindset. John chapter 17, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Verse 26. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. This is profound. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am not in the world for God. I am in God for the world. There's a big difference. Jesus here is saying, I, my mission is to be in God fully so that I can be in the world for God, for the sake of others. And then he says this, he says, I am doing it so that they will see your love for me, they will experience my love for them, and then they'll feel their love for each other. That's why. And that, friends, is our highest calling. Listen, I am not called to control people. I'm called to love them. I'm not, control, I'm not called to change you. I'm called to love you, pray for you, and hopefully show you the better way that God is offering to all of us who want to be fully devoted followers, fully surrendered Christ followers here at Grace Crossing Church. Jesus is saying very clearly, I had a mission when I came. My mission here is ending, but I'm sending them now. And here's the thought as we close I want you to ponder today. I want you to ponder this. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe, just maybe, you are here living through these unprecedented circumstances by God's choice? I just want you to step back and think for a moment. Is it possible you're here right now, living right at this time, right in these circumstances, because God saw that he needed to send someone and you're chosen and I'm chosen to be the sent ones to live through these unprecedented times. Is it possible, friends, that we can have a mindset to say, I understand that I'm not in this world simply for God, but I am in God for this world, for the sake of this world. And if you and I will stop to consider this, it will change everything because anybody could have been chosen for this generation, but they weren't. Anybody could have been chosen to live through the historical moments we are going through right now, not just in our country, but around the globe. But God sent us. 
God sent you. God sent me. And if we're going to be faithful and we're going to have any hopes of fulfilling, being able to stand before God someday and say, God, like David, I was faithful to you in my generation. We've got to see ourselves with a missional mindset. You, listen, you and I are not just saved. We are sent. We are sent. We're not just saved ones. We're sent ones. And we're sent to this generation in this hour and in this moment. And friends, I'll even be more specific. We are in this place, living in this community because God sent us here. It is not by accident. It is very much on purpose. God intended it. So we got to get out of the doldrum of feeling like, oh, woe is me. If I can just make it through. No. How can I be in God for the sake of those in my life right now? That is what God calls us to. So I challenge you today, whether you're here in person joining us on our broadcast, I challenge you to join me in being of one mind. Not my mind, not your mind, but that we will calibrate to the single source of God's mind, the mind that is found and manifested in Jesus. That that single source to which we calibrate will actually then put us in a place of having unity in a way that we could never in a million years achieve if we just strive to get along. That's not what unity is about. Unity is about us together focusing our hearts and attention on him so that God then pulls us together and makes us truly unified by the Spirit. Let me pray with you this morning. And then we have one final worship song to send us out with God's blessing today. As I pray and before I pray, here's what I'd like you to ask yourself. Which aspect, which feature of the mind of Christ do I need to calibrate my life to today? Do I need a transcendent mind more where I, I become more present with eternity while I do my earthly work? Do I need a transparent mind where people can actually see God in me and hear God through me? Do I need a, more of a prayerful mind where I stop stressing out and feeling anxious about the uncertainties of tomorrow, and I, I just start walking with prayer, and each step is a prayer to God. Lord, you know my future. You hold my tomorrow. Do I need a oneness mind? Do, do I even feel, as I heard that, do I feel a sense of interior pushback? There's something in me that I'm resisting the idea of being one, and I need to bring it to God. Or do I need a missional mindset? Do I need to see my life more as I am in God for the world rather than the other way around? To you, God, this morning, we, we hold all of these aspects and features of the mind of Christ, knowing that none of us in ourselves could ever have any hopes of achieving it, but it is a gift you've given to us. You said we have the mind of Christ. You said that we are to have the same mind in us, which is ours in Christ Jesus. So my prayer today, here at Grace Crossing Church, 
And for everyone that will be joining us on this broadcast this Sunday morning and throughout this week, would you, God, by your spirit, go before us and make us like-minded? Would you go before us and help us to be of one mind as we calibrate our minds individually to the mind of Christ so that we corporately can have one shared mind, one common language of prayer, and one heart that's filled with your spirit. We ask these things, Lord, knowing that we could never manufacture it, but we can become open to it. So help us, Lord, I pray, to have a posture of open receptivity and eager responsiveness to your invitation to us today, I pray, in Christ's name. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.